So good to be with you. I was just telling Donnie that last time he, uh, I was here, he introduced me as the one that would uh, discipline my kids, and now I'm the one that uh, corrects him. So, so just to, just to, if you're if I don't know you, to frame it, um, I am a nice guy from my from my perspective. But great great memories. Let me let me share another memory. Is Mark? I don't have my glasses on. Is that Mark back there? Okay. So let me let me tell you a story about uh, Mark Ziegler and I as it relates to Mother's Day. You're talking about Mother's Day. So this this is an example for future dads and current dads, and maybe it's a word for the moms as well to give grace uh, about what not to do when Mother's Day approaches. I'm actually going to talk about fear this morning. And when Donnie shared about Mother's Day, I'm like, why am I experiencing fear? Mother's Day. It's not a fearful uh, time, except it, uh, it was. Mark and I used to jog to church together. Um, way, way back in the day, I have five children at that time. I can't remember how many we had, but to try to help my wife out in the morning to get them to church, we would put two of them in the double bob stroller and we would run down Mockingbird over when, wherever the other building was. And this was fine. It was actually fun. It was fantastic. We popped some different tubes as we were going. But on, um, on Mother's Day, uh, we, at that time, we had two services. And I had actually put a lot of thought, a lot of energy into that year's Mother's Day gift. It was not prepared yet on Mother's Day morning. And so my wife would come to the first service. She would then leave. And I neglected to say, so guys, here's where you want to take your pen out. I neglected to wish her a happy Mother's Day um, that particular morning. And since the gift was not prepared there was no greeting of Mother's Day. There was no gift giving related to Mother's Day. Mark and I had had a great time, but Christy wasn't in on the fun. And so later that day, I'm still trying to assemble the gift. It's gonna be great, but she beats me to the punch and she's like, I've had it. You know, I'm, I, I am slaving away, you know, with all these little kids and you can't even tell me happy Mother's Day. And I, and I said, oh, no, 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 no. I said, I'm doing the gift. I mean, it's, it's, it's. She's like, no, you didn't tell me, no gift. And out of this, is, so guys, here's the discipleship point. What you don't wanna do is you don't wanna respond in the flesh in that moment. My heart uh, was not in the right place. Okay, does everyone hear me? So actually all the women in the room, my heart was not in the right place when I made this comment. And I said, well, you're not my mom. And that didn't play well. <laughs> And so every time now I hear Mother's Day, and by the way, and because of that, I get Mother's Day gifts like at least a month in advance, make sure that they're, I know exactly where it is, it's coming. So just, just a, you know, what not to do there. Hey, before we jump into the message, I want to speak a blessing over the younger generation. And I don't have great eyes, so I can't see who in here is in the younger generation. If you happen to be college age and down, could I ask you to stand? It could be college age, high school, middle school, anywhere, anywhere in there. I just want to speak a blessing um, over these guys. If you're around them and you feel comfortable, you can extend a hand to them. Um, and it's around uh, wisdom and purity. Out of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out the disciples. And I feel like in this generation, there's a need for both of those in tandem. So we want to bless the younger generation. They are facing challenges that some of us in the older generation did not face. And we are for you guys. And if, any, if nothing else, we want you to know that you have great value. You have great worth. You're seen, and we're actually for you. So we bless each of you this morning in the name of Jesus with the wisdom of, of the serpent. And that is, that's not a weird thing. That just means timing. Jesus said, be wise as serpent, but innocent as doves. 
And so the timing of wisdom, you be in the right place at the right time, we bless you with that wisdom this morning. And the innocence of doves, we bless you with purity in this generation that is gonna pull you uh, into other things. Wisdom, innocence, purity, we bless you guys in the name of the Lord, amen. Good, you can take a seat. This is on my heart um, this morning. Well, I wanna, I wanna share a message today uh, around identity, calling, and assignment. Uh, this is the third time I've shared that topic here. So you might be like, he's a one-trick pony, uh, and uh, you'd be accurate. So it's really the only message that I'm sharing these days. And the message title uh, on that topic is going to be, What Story Has Fear Told Your Family? So I want you to be thinking about that. What story has fear told your family? And we're gonna go through some charts here on the front end, and I'm gonna tell you a story from last night. Also, I found funny, if we can go to that first slide. We're just gonna get familiar with our terminology. You may be familiar with this table. So identity, calling, and assignment. You're in a series on identity in Christ, so this is where it fits. So what is, identity is who you are. Your calling is what you are designed to do best. And your assignment is where you live out that calling. I love the song that we sang earlier when it talked, uh, I wrote down the lyrics. when seasons change, I won't give up. That whole, I was like, whoa, that is, that is powerful right there. And if we will recognize that God works with us seasonally, that our assignment, maybe for the next 50, 70 years, I don't know, but there, there are seasons. And we, if we break down God's calling in our life into seasonal assignments, it actually helps us persevere when things are difficult. Our identity when we are in Christ, it does not change. Our calling, it can change somewhat. And our assignment, it changes and possibly or probably many times. Identity is the drive, calling the direction, assignment, the destination. Let's go to the next slide. And so our definition of success, the world is gonna give you one. I want to propose a definition of success to you that is this. It's called faithful to assignment. Therefore, everyone can be successful, not only a select few. And it's taken from... Uh, The passage you see there from Luke 16, we summarize that by saying faithful in the little. Let's do one more chart and I'll tell you a story. So this is what I am after today. Secure identity, so increasing security in identity, increasing clarity in God's calling in our life, motivating us to be faithful in our assignment, leading to, we're gonna take this out of John 15, leading to a fruitful life. So let me break it down because I know that it can be like, okay, what, you know, these terms are kind of just floating around. So as it relates to calling, Christy and I discern a calling in our life uh, around marriage, family, etc. And so we, here's how we say our calling. That, we, that um, well, I actually usually put Christy on the spot on this one and now, now it's, coming, it's coming back at me. You're gonna really laugh when I tell you um, uh, the next story. So uh, we, our, our missional vision, our calling is to uh, strengthen, heal, and encourage marriages, families, and generations with the gifts of wisdom, mercy, and hospitality. There's clarity in our heart that that's who we are and it's what God has called us to do. Does that mean those are the only populations we serve or that, or that those are the only activities that we engage in? Well, the answer is no, but it helps us in knowing what to say yes to and what to say no to. And so it, it's a decision, it's, helped, it's, a, it's a rubric for decision-making. So last night, we were down in Belton, Texas. So I went I-35, well, I live in Waco, went I-35 south last night, I-35 north this morning. 
and we spoke to a group of coaches for FCA. Uh, we speak on marriage regularly, and so we have our pre-planned content. It was good, you know, it was good, good to go. So we hadn't really reviewed it. So we get there, and the one thing that I'd forgotten to ask was how long are we supposed to go? I just guessed, you know, be around an hour. That's kind of standard for those seminars. And so I went up to the guy, we're about to go on, and I said, hey, just to, how, how long are we going? He was like, about 20 minutes. And I, and I was like, oh, good, good, good. And so, you know, I, I, went, I went back to Christy and I said, okay. I said, I said, 20 minutes, we're going 20 minutes. And so we got our little note pack out and we're like, shh, shh. So we went, it was fine. We get back in the car to drive home. And uh, she said, how do you think it went? I said, oh, I thought it, was, thought it was a lot of fun. Thank you for doing it. You know, glad that we got to do that together. You know, wanted to just share a nice marital moment there. Uh, and I said, how did, how did, you know, she was asking me, I was asking her, how, how did you think it went? She said, I really carried us tonight. <laughs> so if you're related to her, uh, as some of you are, you can see her saying that. I was kind of taken off guard, kind of like, what are you saying? <laughs> she was like, well, I kind of brought the energy. You know, you had to shift and that's not so much your gifting. You're more of a planner. Uh, and she was like, I was the MVP. I care. And, she, and she was not, Christy could care less. So she, it wasn't about that. But here's, here's my point. We laughed the entire way back uh, on I-35. I was like, wow, I can't believe that that was really how you gritted the deal. That, it, that you were hoping that I would be quiet because you were carrying the team uh, in, uh, you know, in, in a place of our calling. That is my point. So I want you to look at this. I grew up with a lot of insecurity in my life. And I wanna challenge you in that place. If you're there, there's actually a lot of hope for you. If, I didn't, if God had not done a work in my heart in terms of security in identity, then that, although we have clarity of calling, here's what the outcome would have been. The outcome would have been conflict in our marriage and eventually you will quit on your calling. You could be clear as day on it. If your identity is not secure, eventually you're, you, will, you will quit. Uh, or you'll try to just do it in your own strength and you're gonna end up tired uh, and possibly a little bitter. There's a better way uh, to do it and it's having a secure identity in the Lord Jesus uh, and then having clarity of calling faithful and assignment leading to a fruitful life. So we're gonna break that down. So our first text is gonna be in John 15. You want to turn there? It's also going to be on the screen. We're going to look at three verses out of John 15, famous passage. Jesus speaking, he says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. I believe that a key for us this morning is encountering God as the vine dresser. Anytime Jesus gives us revelation, data points, information about who the father is, we really want to pay attention. He knows him very well, eternally. Uh, and he is, he is described here as the vine dresser. We're gonna talk about Mediterranean viniculture in just a moment, because most of us, uh, I would argue, probably did not grow up in that context. So we're gonna talk about the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. I believe that this has been a passage misunderstood and that has inspired fear in the body of Christ. We're gonna talk about it. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Another word that inspires fear in the body of Christ, if you're honest that it may bear more fruit. Okay, so there's one and two. Let's go to the next one. John 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my, remember, this is Jesus, the most joyful one ever. 
the oil of gladness, full in himself, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We're gonna talk about having a joyful identity today that is a grace gift from God and not a fearful identity. Now let's do one more. Verse 16, John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, I like the word assignment, but we're gonna defer to Jesus, appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Why should you pay attention today? Let me give you a couple of reasons. Verse 11, the joy of the Lord, your temporal joy, and then remaining or abiding fruit. I'm gonna call that eternal reward. And that, that's enough motivation for me, man, to have temporal joy and eternal reward that there is actually something that matters in how I live out my calling and assignment in the earth. I don't know about you, but sometimes I work for a conveyor belting company, and so we do rubber. And so my office is out in a hot box and there's machines and loud stuff. And it's like, you know, I walk in there and I'm like, okay, temporal joy and eternal reward are not things that are at the forefront of my mind. I don't know where you work. And, and one of the things that happens in identity calling and assignment is we think that our job is our calling. And so then we get a job review and we're either up or we're down and we get confused over who we are because we think job equals calling equals I'm either good or I'm bad. It's not very, um, it's not surprising to me that we have so much fluctuation in emotion in our day. It's because we have forgotten who we are and we have misattributed the calling of God and the assignment of God for, for the identity of God. Identity is separate and actually your job is not your calling and your assignment. You're, you're, it may line up, like I told you, we have a calling in the area of marriage. I work for a rubber company. How, do, you know, how, how does that work? My calling is not necessarily the thing that I'm doing 40, 60, 80, whatever I'm putting in in terms of a, a way to provide for my family. It may line up, it may not line up, but do not get confused over performance on a job relative to how God sees you and feels about you. That's actually a really good word. If you want a good prayer, I should probably shared this last time I was here, pray this, five second prayer. God, how do you see me? God, how do you feel about me? Then get, off, get your eyes off yourself. God, how do you feel about others? How do you see others? If you're gonna be like, that's why I've been praying the last couple of weeks for you. God, how are you seeing the, those that are assembled and are a part of the community at Antioch Dallas? How do you see them? How do you feel about them? Now, would you let me see them and feel about them how you do? So if I get emotional today, as I have, as I've been praying for you in preparation, it's not weird emotion. It's like God doing things inside me. And I would, I would just commend that to you so that we don't see just with our natural eye, that we're able to see, with, see and feel. It's really amazing, it'll, cha it'll change your life. So let, let's talk a little bit more here about this concept of, uh, of joy. Let's go to that Romans 8 passage. In, Ro in Romans 8, this one, and we're gonna sing, uh, you know, there, there are songs written about uh, this text. Some of you, maybe many of you, maybe all of you could quote this to me, uh, for you did not receive, this is Paul speaking to the church at Rome, speaking to those that are 
in Christ. I listened to Joe's message as he kicked this off, uh, this series off, and I heard the number of times that in Christ is used in the New Testament. It's a large volume there, a large amount of time. So these are people, the recipients of the letter to, uh, to um, uh, Rome, Romans, they were in Christ. And he says, you, those who are in Christ, did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Their identity was already in Christ. You didn't receive a spirit to fall back into slavery, into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What's my point? Paul will say a similar thing to Timothy, who was in Christ. And he said, you haven't received a spirit of timidity, timidity, fear, spoken to and written to people that were already in Christ. They already had an identity in Christ. What is my point? You can have fear come in and affect your identity in Christ. Everyone go, go like this. Yes. Some, so, so if you're, anytime we assemble together, my worldview is that we have people that are in Christ and not in Christ. And I wanna say this. If you're here, you're not in Christ, man, you are so welcome here. Uh, we're, we are super grateful that you are here. If you are in Christ, you're in the Lord Jesus. You, are, you have a secure identity. However, you have an enemy that would try to destabilize you in the security of that identity. And he is going to use a lot of different ways to do that. One of the tried and true ways to do that is through fear. And so Jesus, knowing that, he, and this is not the only place in the, what they call the upper room discourse about John 13 to 17. You go reread that, you're gonna get a lot of stuff on how God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit relate to one another and quite a bit on joy. We take a step back and we look at the uh, scripture as a whole and we see that, how do I get strong? Well, one way is the joy of the Lord. We sing songs. Again, pay attention to our songs. The joy of the Lord is our so if you want to be strengthened in identity, calling, and assignment, I would commend to you to pay attention to your joy level. Here, here is the problem, and we're bonded together in this problem. If we can go to that uh, chart on joy bonds and fear bonds. Many of us, we learn to a, a certain attachment style. This is from a, uh, a, a content that would be called neurotheology. So it's taking brain science and connecting it in with the word of God and theology and seeing where they cross over. It's actually very, very fascinating. Uh, it's the research of Jim Wilder. And they do a lot of work on identity and on um, attachment and bonding. And they will say that there are two ways that our brain will learn to bond out of fear or out of joy. Their argument is that God designed our brain to function best on joy. And so joyful attachment. And so if you see a parent with a little baby and they are smiling at the baby, then that is, that is part of what is creating a joyful attachment because there are lots of smiles that are going back and forth even when uh, you know, there's craziness going on. Um, if that doesn't happen, if a child does not learn to bond and to attach early on out of joy, they will learn to attach out of fear. This is not a doom and gloom message because what we're gonna see from the word of God is that God wants to father us out of fear. My argument is probably most of us learned how to bond out of fear. We grew, we grew up in the world, even if we grew up in a, in a loving home, we learned in different ways that smiling was rare. Just think about your own upbringing. Donnie was talking about taking a trip down memory lane as he was opening up that photo album. 
when you open up that metaphorical photo album, is, was smiling rare or were there lots of smiles? The thing that attracted me to my now wife, Christy, who I met when I was 12, and Mary Beth, who is here, was a little girl, um, we, we, we little one um, at that time. When she was 12 years old, she was so, she stuck out so much uh, to me from, from others, primarily related to her joy. She was always, I thought it was like a Pollyanna put on fake, like there's no way a person authentically could be like this. And so I inquired within, I investigated, I went on a process of discovery, uh, and, 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 I, and I discovered, alas, this, this was the real deal. And I decided early on around 13, 14, I would like to be around a person like this forever. <laughs> and, and so I wouldn't leave her alone. And you know, finally, the perseverance won out. What's my point? I, this, that was not me. I was more not that, you know, something else. The way that we learn, the way our brain is designed to learn something new like this, we have these things called mirror neurons. And so we have to actually watch other people. Go to, go to the next slide and I'll explain that a little more. So this is, um, when, we, when we are bonded to other people, so just think about someone in your life that you might be like, you know, when I think about them or when I'm around them, the relational circuits offside seems to be happening. So that would be, I want them to go away or I feel like they want me to go away. That's not joy. There's resentment instead of appreciation. Uh, there's a focus more on just winning or being right than on kindness. And you'll stop making eye contact with that person or they will stop making eye contact with you. That happens when what they call the relational circuits are turned off, meaning you're bonded in fear, not out of joy. So if you want to change from one to the other, uh, there's a little acronym, it's called CAKE. It doesn't quite work, but curiosity, appreciation, kindness, eye contact. Uh, there you go. If you're, if you're looking for an acronym today, let me present to you CAKE. And your relational circuits get turned on, but you have to be around people. That's why I'm bringing up Christy in my life. You have to be around people so that your mirror neurons in your brain can actually watch them. You're like, what does this have to do with Jesus? Everything. When Jesus called his disciples, he said he called the 12 to be with him. And so for a, for a period of time, the circuitry in their brain, it wasn't just ministry skill. There was also relational stuff that was transpiring in their interactions. They were watching Jesus treat people one way where the culture had been treating them a different way. And their brain was literally learning something new. But the way that, that's, that's why we advocate for training school. That's why we advocate for life on life. That's why Christy and I, we try to make it a practice to have people live in our home. It's not convenient, but what we have found is it is the most effective way to see life transformation happen. Because God has blessed us with a joyful identity. We therefore, because that's how God is, he is, he is, he is the God of self-giving love, we're motivated to give our life away, not because we're good people, but because we've been changed in more into the image of God. And so because we said we have freely received this, our biblical conviction is therefore we are to freely give this away. So we invite other people into our spaces and what we regularly uh, get feedback on is, hey, I came in kind of 
gloomy, kind of low, kind of whatever, but as we, you know, we've just maybe shared some meals together or I've just hung out with your family over a period of time, what, we're finding, what I'm finding is that I am operating differently. What they're really saying is that their relational circuits were turned off and then God helped them be turned on. And it wasn't very complex. Like it wasn't like we were like, come into our office, let us diagnose you. Now we're gonna put together, now I actually like doing things like this. We're gonna put together a, a proposal. We're gonna propose it to you. You're gonna review the proposal. And then if you accept the proposal, you're gonna sign, you're gonna pay us. No, you know, like that, that's ridiculous. We don't do that. Just very simple. It's like, do you want to eat food? Any, can, can, can you do that? You can invite someone to eat food, right? Do you want to eat food? Yes, I like food. Come over at six and let's eat food. Okay, and you eat food and you just be yourself. And then they recognize, wow, I don't have to have my relational circuits turned off. I'm observing in their relationship, they're not resenting one another. They actually seem to be enjoying one another. One of the fastest ways that God will transform your life is when you actually start believing that God enjoys you. And one of the ways that happens is by observing other people enjoying one another. One of the ways that you will affect the culture of Dallas, Texas is people, letting people observe you enjoying one another just in, auth, auth, in authentic ways. And they'll start asking you, they're like, why don't you gossip, slander, backbite, um, cut people's legs, backstab them when they're not around, talk about them when they're not present, like all the different ways that the world operates? Why don't you do that? And then you can do what Peter says, I'm always prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within me. And then you just tell them like why you don't do that. And then if you do do that, then you can confess and repent to them and say, man, actually you need to hold me accountable because I'm not acting out of my joyful identity. Okay, I could do a whole deal on that, We're gonna, but we need to keep going. So what's the point? We have, a temp, we have the opportunity for temporal joy and eternal reward. I just gave you some I don't know how to get more practical in terms of how you could actually have life change moving from a fear-based identity to a joyful identity. You might ask, yeah, but, give, but give, me, give me a little more, or you might say, please stop. Well, I'm gonna keep going. So Genesis 3, I'm gonna give you two questions here, the image bearers in the beginning. And, and these are the questions that God asked. Genesis 3, verse nine, this is after, you know, so Satan is there with Adam and Eve, and there's, there's the, the dialogue that is happening and there's sin entering the world and there's a drift away from relationship with God. And here is God's question. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? It's one of the most loving questions in the Bible. If you have authority issues, you might hear that in a punitive way, but, the, but if you advocate what Donnie was sharing earlier, what we sung about earlier with the, on the goodness of God, you will actually hear that in a different way. As Joe said, hey, there's four different questions that we are four different practices that we can do in this series. Just read that text every day, but don't read it out of, out of a harsh taskmaster trying to punish you, but a good father that is trying to draw you back fathering you out of fear and reconnecting you to your identity calling and assignment. Question number one. Question two, who told you that? Now, the full thing, who told you you were naked because their eyes were opened? Have you eaten the tree which I commanded you not to eat? 
Who, where are you and who told you that? I actually see God singing those questions over his children. Because I'm not as bold as Donnie, I'm not going to sing those questions uh, today. But as I was praying for you this week, I was singing these questions over you. And if you are far from God today, a true father welcomes people home. He is wanting to father you and to call you back to help you locate where you are. It's not like he doesn't know. He's God. He sees all things. Who told you that? The father also wants to help you distinguish his voice from the voice of the liar. The devil is a liar. Jesus says that. He says when he speaks, he speaks his native tongue. He said he's been a murderer from the beginning. It's full of deception. If we don't move out of fear in our identity, we get very confused in terms of, is God speaking or is that me speaking? Is that someone else speaking? There's confusion. This is a loving question to help humanity discover God's voice sounds one way, the voice of the liar sounds another way. And you're like, well, I'm having trouble distinguishing between the two. I have trouble with that all the time. That's why I try to press into community. So in your life group, like go tell them, like I'm having trouble in my, when I'm trying to discern calling, assignment, et cetera, I'm having trouble. Could you help me discern God's voice? I can't tell if this is me, God, the liar. And that, that is, that's a good place to be. It's a good place to be to allow people to speak into your life and strengthen you in those times. Well, let's keep going. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna tell you what your calling is. You're like, you don't know me. That's true. Uh, but I'm gonna go ahead and tell you what your calling is just in a generalized way, and we're almost finished. Genesis 1, verse 28, we're just gonna focus in on the, the be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. The word there for subdue uh, is a word kabosh. It can mean to tame the wild or to order chaos, to bring order to chaos. In your context right now, I don't know your context, but I know that there is some type of chaos and there is some type of wild that you can partner with God in your calling to address, or you can neglect and avoid it and abdicate your responsibility. Completely up to you. But the generalized calling is to subdue or to kibosh. And then in chapter two, verse 15, our other word here is shamar. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to, to work it and keep it. The Amplified helps us there with the language. That word literally means to cultivate or to bring culture. What am I called to do? Kabosh and Shamar. What does that mean? Tame the wild that is around you. Allow God to tame the wild and the chaos that is within you. And then wherever he plants you, cultivate. Wherever he puts you, do something in that garden. Build culture, build God's culture. Don't do it alone, do it with other people. I mean, that's actually enough to occupy possibly the rest of your lifetime. So you don't have to go manufacture. Uh, here's what happens to people. I was a pastor for 15 years. I've seen this quite a bit. I don't know, the number one pe question that people ask pastors is what is God's will for my life? Number one, far and away, the number one question. People get locked up because of an insecure identity. Is this God? Is this not God? And so they wait and they wait and, they, and actually it's called wait. It, the language used as wait. It's actually, I'm afraid to engage. Just say that in love. So if you're in that place, it's zero condemnation, but it is an exhortation. 
to engage with culture building, to engage with, I mean, look, just open the news and there's gonna be a lot of different things that are going on rather than just looking at it and being like, you know, I'm just gonna be a bystander. Let's, let's do what we prayed earlier. Let's have the wisdom of the serpent and the innocence of the dove, and let's engage in these generalized ways. So our our closing thought here is out of Hebrews 12. God, the vine dresser, John 15, same God as Genesis 1, 2, and 3, same God as Hebrews 12, and uh, fortuitous that Donnie shared what he did in the introduction, because we're gonna see God doing likewise here. Hebrews chapter 12, you have forgotten the divine word of encouragement addressing you as sons. That's connecting us to the Romans 8. This is, you know, if you say, why isn't this happening? If we're working on identity in Christ, we're trying to move out of fear into joy. Why aren't we seeing more transformation of culture? Why aren't we seeing, you know, more more life change? I actually have a very, very, very simple answer just from reading the Bible. My son or daughter, do not make light of the discipline of the Lord. The word there in the Greek is paida. It can mean to train. Uh, I actually like to use uh, the word coach. Um, It can mean to correct, and it can mean to discipline. Do not lose heart and give up when you are corrected by him. Here's my answer. Why don't we see more of this identity calling and assignment lived out? That's the answer right there. Loss of heart and giving up when corrected by God. Not, Not saying it's the only answer, but it is an answer. When an older brother in the Lord shares feedback with you, you can do what Donnie did, or you can say, see ya. And majority of our culture right now is saying, see ya. I don't have to put up with that. I don't have to take that from you. When the person is trying to help, (laughs) the person is trying to, to go low and to serve, the vine dresser would have to get down on the ground and take that branch, let's close with this, the band can come back up. That John 15 vine dresser, the branch would have to be lifted up because if it was not lifted off the ground, it would mildew. The loving vine dresser would stoop down. Think of Jesus in the incarnation. Think of Jesus in the crucifixion, stooping very low. The vine dresser lifts that branch of the vine off the ground He would then find a rock and he would put that rock under that branch. What a tender, kind act of God, the vine dresser. So now that branch is not gonna mildew. And then, so he's gonna gonna lift up and then he's gonna prune. We don't need to be afraid of pruning. He's gonna maybe take another branch that isn't producing fruit, but it's blocking the sun. He may remove that. There may be a leaf right here. He may remove that leaf and then he may physically change the location. You know, he may shift the location of that branch. What's my point? Some of you right now, you're being repositioned in your assignment. Sounds like the Bible. Sounds like the activity of God, the vine dresser. And the whole purpose of being repositioned is for greater fruitfulness. It's not to hurt you. It's not to harm you. It's actually to give you a hope and a future. Let's stand together. As we respond today, lots of options there. Um, let's just put back up, let's put, the, let's put that chart up on secure identity, clarity of calling. So just look at that chart as we respond. 
And if there's one place in there where fear has really gotten into your life, um, if you're part of the prayer and prophetic team, if you can come up as well, just let, let's, let's minister to one another in these places. Father, thank you that you're the vine dresser. Thank you that you're the creator. Thank you that you uh, are the correcting, disciplining father for our good out of love. We give you praise this morning. And Holy Spirit, we say, have your way in whatever you want to reorder uh, inside of us that we might engage uh, in the calling and the assignment that you have in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.